there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. This is supposed to be at the end of the talk, but I decided that it would be a good idea to give you something to think about while I'm talking, because you're not going to be thinking about what I'm talking about, because you can't do that, because you can't keep your attention here that long. And your attention goes in and out, and I'll say something, and then you'll go off on this little train of thought. Well, but you don't know where that train's going. You don't know what stations it's going to stop at. You don't know how far it's going to go, when the first stop is or the last stop is. You don't know when you'll get off or on. You don't know whether it's a sleeper, and you'll end up falling asleep on that thought train. That's the way it is, so I understand that. So maybe if I put you on the right train now, you'll look out the window and you'll listen and you'll hear me still talking and every once in a while you'll get on the same train of thought I'm on, but if you're not, then when you go back to your train, maybe it'll be the right train. Maybe it'll be a train that'll bring us back together. Our tracks will come back together at the end of this. So that's my hope. I'm going to be reading you from this great story from Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me until I have eaten and drunk? And afterward you will eat and drink." He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This is a problem for people. This particular idea is a problem for people. So I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to be thinking about what impressions that leaves you with, how that sits with you. You know, have that there in the back of your mind while we talk about this. Because remember, though it may not sound like it, he's talking about faith. You remember how it started off, right? It says, the apostles said, increase our faith. And then he goes, okay, so the mustard seed, and if you had, so even if you had this little tiny bit of faith, you could do all these things. You know, these things would obey you, this is basically. And then he says about the plowing and tending sheep and the slave, and how does that relate to increase our faith? Has that occurred to you at all? How, how does this work? How does this, why is he using this parable? What, the, what could this parable possibly mean about faith? This parable is so well known in Christianity. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. And they even have these little things you can hang around your neck and this little acrylic necklace thing with a little grain of mustard seed in it and that's supposed to represent your faith and blah, blah, blah. And you know, all it is is a talisman. It's just magic. It's a, it's a silly belief in magic, and it's an icon, and, and I tend to be an iconoclast. I see something like that, and I don't want to break it, but I do want to bring people to the point where they can break up the calcified, the fossilized thought forms around it, give them this false sense of security and this false sense of something is going to take care of me and I don't have to do anything except wear this talisman. 
I'm really interested in what is going to work for me esoterically, what is going to help me to transform. And that's what I share with you. The other things I don't have much comment on because I don't, I don't care. It's not important. It doesn't mean anything in the world, the internal world, that I wish to dwell in and get into its proper order. This work requires force, energy. And we never seem to have enough to do what we aim to do in a work sense. Now, in a life sense, we often have enough. Often, not always, but often have enough to do what we aim to do. Because there's this life force that drives us. And usually it's negative emotions and selfishness and self-love and things like that. And so life provides plenty of that. So we have plenty of force for life aims. But when it comes to work aims, we seem to be lacking force. Well, there's a reason for that, of course. Energy that goes into unnecessary emotions is lost. And all of those emotions that I was just talking about, self-love and selfishness and negative emotions, all of those things are lost. All of those things are unnecessary emotions. And so the energy is lost. The vast majority of our emotions are unnecessary. I'm not going to say all of our emotions are unnecessary, although I think it would be a valid point to say all of our emotions are unnecessary. And occasionally an emotion, a real emotion, might sneak through when we have a flash of consciousness, a flash of a flash into the emotional center when something, when we receive something because we've somehow gotten ourselves in the right state of mind. So I think it's possible for us to have flashes of real emotion. I don't think it's something that we do normally. I think normally our emotions, our ordinary emotions are unnecessary. And so we have a lot of lost energy because of that. If the sun isn't shining, we dislike it. We live here in Southern California. If the sun doesn't come out and shine, it's still June, right? So we have this thing here in Southern California we call June gloom, and that is the fog, the overcast fog rolls in off the ocean, and it just kind of settles on everything, and it's gloomy. June gloom. Everybody gets gloomy about it. Not everybody, of course, but People get gloomy about it, and, and so the sun isn't shining. They dislike it. Some of our force is siphoned off because the disliking is an unnecessary emotion. See, we don't think of disliking as an unnecessary emotion. We don't even think of it as an emotion. Well, I dislike that. Well, I don't like that. Well, that is an unnecessary emotion, and it's a negative emotion. Well, what do you mean it's a negative emotion? I'll show you a negative emotion, you idiot. No, just relax. See, we, we think that it's not a negative emotion unless it's a strong negative emotion that we consider to be a negative emotion. But if it's a subtle negative emotion like, like disliking, it's okay to have that. It's okay. You should dislike things. What, what kind of a person are you if you don't li dislike things? Liking and disliking, this is part of being human, right? And is that what you want to be? You're here to be human? I mean, look around. Human is nothing more, really, than a thinking animal that's not really doing that much thinking. It's doing a lot of what? Kind of ruminating, but it's not really doing a lot of thinking. You know what ruminating is, the cows and sheep, and they have a number of stomachs, so they throw some food down there, and then they bring it back up, and then they chew it, and then they swallow it, and it goes to a different place, and then they bring it back up, and they chew that. So they kind of chew it a couple of times, and, and, you know, that's what we do with our thoughts. We don't chew them just once. Have you ever noticed how many thoughts come back over and over and over for, for like 20 or 30 or 40 years or 50 years, however old you are, you know, and the thoughts just keep coming back? Yes, I know that thought. I know that whole thought train. I've taken a ride on that thought train so many times. I think I know exactly where it's going. But we always get on again, don't we? Our expectations are slowly killing us by siphoning off our life force when they are not met. When our expectations are not met, when our requirements of other people are not met, we get negative. We end up having, not because we choose, we don't set our emotions in motion by an act of will. Our emotions happen. They just happen. We're just overcome by some emotion. 
And the idea of setting your emotions into motion through an act of will is like, well, can you do that? Is that something you can do? Is that, is that like possible? Well, no, it's not possible for you. This is where you definitely get to the point I can't do. So can you do it 100% of the time? Can you just love any time that you determine to love? Can you externally consider someone any time that you want to? Well, of course you can't. You can't even think of doing it when you're overcome by someone not meeting your requirements, when you're overcome by someone not measuring up to what you say they should live up to, what you say they should be, what you say they say they should be, whatever, however you want to look at it, however you want to justify it. And if you do want to justify it, you're in the right place because here justification is going to take a little bit of a pounding. Justification is going to be it's going to be examined in the light of consciousness and it's going to be seen for what it actually is, which is deadly to anyone who wants to develop. And if you want to develop, you're in the right place. If you want to justify yourself, you're still in the right place because here we'll shine the light on it and here you'll get to look at it at your leisure. You look at it any, any, any degree you want, any time you want, look at it. If you don't want to look at it, fine, think about something else. <laughs> I'm not going to get up and make you do it. I'm not going to come over there... Don't make me come over there. I'm not going to do that. This is not about that. This is about your opportunity. You have an opportunity. I'll bring things up. I'll, I'll turn on the lights. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity. You come into the light. You bring out the things you have in your treasury, you know, in your little treasure chest. You bring them out into the light as you desire, as you wish, because this is self-development. You do the development. I'm not going to confront you and tell you, you have to do this and you have to do that. If that's what you're looking for, keep looking, because I don't want to do that. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that that's not what I need to do for my work, for me, because I have to work first. In my world, you're second. You have to work according to your desire and according to your aim and according to what you have to work on. But I must do my work first. And if our work can mesh and come together, then wonderful. I'm happy for that. If not, then I guess you'll be leaving. And that's fine because that's the way that goes. We expect everything except what happens. Have you ever noticed that? Unless, of course, it was negative. I knew you were going to do that. And we expected that. I knew it. I expected that. Well, I expected that. Well, of course I expected that from you. I mean, what do you expect from some sleeping machine? I mean, it's a selfish, pig-headed sleeping machine. You see how negative that is? And we lie about it. And we say, well, that's not negative. It's just the truth. <laughs> it may be the truth. But when we're identified with it and when we have requirements, that becomes a negative emotion. Expecting bad things to happen is kissing our psychological talisman for protection. It's rubbing our rabbit's foot. It's kissing the crucifix that you've got hanging around your neck. It's making the sign of the cross. Like this parable that I read. It's about faith. But where, what is it saying about faith? Well, we, we don't know that anymore. We don't know the meaning of the parable anymore. Now all we know is the parable. We can recite that and we go, oh, yes, I know that parable. It's this parable and that parable, blah, blah. The parable of the mustard seed. Well, fine, what does it mean? Well, it means that if, you, if I only have a little bit of faith, just the size of a mustard seed, then I'll be able to do all kinds of things. Right. So faith isn't about quantity, it's about quality. On one level, that's what that parable means. It means faith isn't about quantity, it's about quality. What does faith have to do with the fourth way? What does faith have to do with the system? What does faith have to do with work? Well, a fat lot, because without faith, you can't do this work. Without some kind of confident expectation that there is something higher, how can you reach something higher? How can you even attempt something higher? You must be able to conceive of something higher, to believe that something higher is possible, to confidently expect that if you seek something higher, you will be able to find it. That's faith. Now, there are all kinds of levels of faith because there are all kinds of levels of man. 
But that's a level of faith. That's a degree of faith. That's a kind of faith. doesn't mean that's all there is to it. The force of faith is an important thing in this work because you can't really do this work without it after a certain point. Up to a certain point, you can work without the force of faith. But after a certain point, work becomes impossible without the force of faith because in order to do a greater work, more force is needed. Let's say we expect bad things to happen. If they happen, we're protected. If they don't, we're relieved. Does that pretty much size up your uh, expectations of what's, what the bad things are going to happen? Yeah, and we, we do this. We, just, we, we don't know it. We're not conscious of it because it's, auto, it's all automatic. It's all mechanical. It's just running in the background like Muzak. Expectation, they set us up to consider internally. Internal considering has deep roots in the emotional center and uses the intellectual center's words and inner talking. It employs the intellectual center to make us negative. It puts the intellectual center to work in the wrong way so that we can justify our negative emotions, so that we can keep them, because we love them. We love how they make us feel. They make us feel superior. They make us feel like other people are not as good as us, like other people are stupid, like other people are bad, and we're the only good people. And quite frankly, we love that. And if you think you don't love that, then the only remedy for you is self-observation. You begin to observe yourself as if you were looking at me, (laughs) not you. Just begin to, to observe yourself as if you were looking at me and not you. Except one thing, I would ask you to do one thing. Don't be as critical of yourself as you are of me. If you can pull that one off, if you can not be as critical of yourself as you are of me when you're observing me, then you're approaching proper self-observation. I'm not going to say you're there, but you're approaching it. At least you're moving in the right direction. You're facing in the right direction. Non-critical self-observation. No matter how wonderful we are, we all have this feeling deep within us, this root in the emotional center, this root of internal considering. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what the feeling is, but I want you to taste it yourself as you begin to hear about it. I want you to taste it yourself in yourself, and then you will know better than anything that I could explain to you. And that's what's important here, that you know better yourself, that you begin to discover what is in you, that you begin to see it, that you begin to separate from it. That is our purpose. Our purpose is not intellectual entertainment. Our purpose is not to show you how much James Parkinson knows about the fourth way, because that wouldn't take us long. That would be about over a long time ago, many, many podcasts ago. I don't know much about the fourth way. I don't know much about anything. What's important is that we learn to know ourselves. That's what's important. I'm not saying I know myself. I'm just saying that it's important that we learn to know ourselves, that we come to know ourselves. That's what this work aims to do, to give us more consciousness about ourselves so that we can become self-aware. And when we can become self-aware, then we can, to some degree, begin to have a will, a will that we can say, I will do this, and then actually do it, not just imagine that we did, and not just have some excellent, most excellent excuses for why we didn't. Because that's what we have now. What most people have now is most excellent excuses and reasons for why they didn't do what they willed to do. And some people just cover it all over with imagination and say, well, I did do it. But you said this. Oh, no, but I meant that. We're not even talking about that. Nicole says, unless by some miracle the love of God has entered into our hearts and we have come to understand this earth is a place of test and that nothing human can understand us, we're going to have this feeling inside of us this feeling that that is at the root, in emotional center, it's at the root of internal considering. And it's not a good thing. It's not something that's healthy. It's something that drains. It's a parasite. It's something that drains our force. It's something that sucks our energy. It's something that weakens us, debilitates us, cripples us, 
hinders us, binds us. And we have to see it. Because you can't see it, you've got to taste it. You've got to get a sense of it. You've got to use your internal senses to start to become aware of it. Hopefully by the end of this, you will have had a taste of it, if you haven't already. We feel the sun should shine the day we wish to picnic. So we've got a picnic plan. July 4th is coming up. It better be a good day. We don't want it to be too hot, right? But we want the sun to shine. It's okay if there's a little overcast to keep it cool, but we want the sun to shine, right? Because we're going to have a picnic. We're going to get together. This group is going to get together. We're going to eat. We're going to sit out in the sun, and we're going to talk, and we're going to play some music, and we'll, we'll have a great time, and we'll laugh, and people will drink wine and act silly. And Is that what will happen? Pretty much that's what will happen. Everybody will live happily ever after for an hour or so. If the sun shines. If the sun doesn't shine on our special 4th of July, our dear little 4th of July picnic day, the sun doesn't shine, we consider. We consider. Well, we feel sad. We feel that something doesn't appreciate us. We feel that we're not rightly treated by that something. We feel that something doesn't quite understand us. We haven't really asked for all that much. Just one day. We don't get together all the time. We're just going to get together this one day for this little thing, this little soiree, and we're going to enjoy ourselves. And and we just, all we want is a little bit of sunshine, you know, nice weather. That's all. We don't ask for much, right? But no, the whole universe lines up against us, and it'll rain or something else. With rain would be good here in Southern California. We'd probably take our clothes off and run around in it. Oh, boy, there'll be people coming from all over the world now to join our group. They take their clothes off and run around in the rain, right? But it never rains in Southern California, so you're never going to see that. <laughs> I know, this work is much more serious than I am, isn't it? Much more serious. No, this is no laughing matter, people. Well, sorry about that. This is what the work calls internal considering. The feeling, the emotion continues, and it's joined by other similar experiences from our past that form a root in the emotional center. And from that root, many other forms of internal considering branch out. So yes, you can cut this one off, but from that root, another one comes up. And you can cut that one off, but from that root, another one comes up. And until you get to the root of it in the emotional center, it's going to continue sprouting new branches of internal considering. And those branches are going to intertwine with other branches and other shoots and other little vines that are coming up out of that root. And then it's going to get to be this gnarled mess. And that gnarled mess is what we have now. We can hardly look at anything or anyone without internal considering. We can hardly walk outside without internal considering. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's not rain, it's not, it's not dry enough, it's not wet enough, it's not this, it's not that. You didn't look at me right, you didn't treat me right, you didn't do that. How come you didn't do what you said you were going to do? Why didn't you smile when I said, how come you didn't kiss me goodnight? Blah, 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 blah. Just to get a little taste of it in there, I'm throwing all these things out. Of course, I know you don't do that, but some people do. You know, those other people. Well, maybe get a taste of their internal considering (laughs) because you don't have any of your own. Oh, that's the part you're talking about, right, Kurt? The part where I'm sarcastic? (laughs) You see, I'm not really trying to hurt you. My intention is not to hurt you. My intention is to put up this contrast with what we imagine ourselves to be and what we actually are and to try and make it playful so that we can look at it lightly without getting all morose about it. So I think sarcasm is more your responsibility than mine. I think that you cut your own flesh with the things I say because I think that's what you like to do. I think you like to be hard on yourself. And I think, not only that, I think that because we have such requirements for other people and we're hard on them, that's the soup we float in. And so, of course, we smell like that soup and taste like that soup and float around in that soup because that's the soup that we're putting everybody else in. And in order to make that soup, it had to come through us, out of us. We're soup tasters. You think about it. We're tasting our soup all the time, aren't we? The soup we cook other people in, we have to taste it. And when we taste it, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, 
They deserve to cook in that soup. And so do we. No, no, I'm a good person. (laughs) Yes, you are. You're wonderful and I love you. No one ever listens to what you want. You notice that? Nobody ever listens to what you want. They never give you, you know, your birthday comes around. How often do you really get what you want? You can remember the birthdays probably that you got what you wanted. Maybe you have one birthday. Not even one, huh? Your eyes are rolling like, I can't ever remember getting what I wanted for my birthday. That's what I mean. Because nobody knows. Nobody listens to you. Nobody knows what you want because they don't listen to you. That's internal considering, isn't it? No one really cares. I mean, really, nobody cares about your problems. Nobody cares. We feel stranger in life. What am I doing here? How did I get on this planet? I don't belong here. This is a mistake. Let me off. I'm not supposed to be. This is, this is not the way my life is supposed to be. Who are these people? Why are they so bad? Why are they so mean? Why are they so thoughtless? Why are they so inconsiderate? What's wrong with these people? This is not the way my life is supposed to be. I'm all alone here. Know the feeling? You know the taste? Good. That's internal considering. Unless humanity begins to awaken from sleep, reaching the level of conscious man will never be cured of this deep, serious emotional flaw. This rotten root inside of us that keeps putting forth these branches of thought, these trains of thought, these shoots of thought that always lead us to the same thing again and again and again. Internal considering, internal considering, unhappiness, disgruntled, sad, self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves. Why does it always happen to me? Why can't people just be nice? I'm nice. Why can't they be nice? I waved. I let that person out in traffic. And you'd think they'd let the next guy out. But no, that whole thing that we love, that we love and that we just... Gosh, it's like a fine wine. We bring it out and, oh, first we smell the cork, you know, for hours. Oh, we just can't wait. And we're salivating, you know, thinking of how we're going to get to taste this, you know, and how right we are and how awful it is and blah, blah, blah. Get the taste of it. Remember it. Put it in your work memory. You can begin the healing process by starting with avoidable internal considering. There are certain things, certain internal considerings that's unavoidable for you. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's unavoidable. You're going to do it. The best thing you can do is catch yourself somewhere down the line and say, okay. You know, when you're drunk with it and you fall down and fall, finally fall asleep, you wake up, maybe you'll forget about it for a little while until the next time. There's some things that are unavoidable for you at this stage in your development. But there are some things at this stage in your development that are avoidable for you, that you can avoid, that you can cut it off. You can, as soon as you see the sprout, you can nip it right there in the bud. As soon as you see it bud out of the root, you can just cut it off right there. Say no to it. There are some things you can deal with, and those are the things you need to deal with. That's where you need to begin the healing process. If a man doesn't see his own hatefulness, his own hardness, his own disloyalty, he hasn't observed himself. If you can't see how hateful and hard and disloyal and mean that you are, then you have not observed yourself, because it's there. And if you have pictures saying that it's not there, those pictures are false. You painted them. They're not photographs. You painted those pictures. You were not awake when you painted those pictures. You were drunk in the bar, drunk on imagination when you painted those pictures. And though you've had them framed and you have them in prominent places all around your internal walls, and though you look at them and gaze at them quite often and there's no mirror in your internal home at all, you've got all the mirrors covered with these pictures that you've painted about how skinny you are and how beautiful you are and how wonderful you are and how generous you are and how kind you are and how gracious you are and how forgiving you are and how la 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 and that's our song. (sighs) We're so wonderful. You love to sing that one. You can't see your own being keeps bringing you the same pain into your experience. If you're not seeing that about yourself, you're not going to see. You're certainly not going to see that the pain in your life is because of your own being. It's because of your own being. It's not because of anything else. The pain in your life 
keeps coming back for one reason only. Pain is not punishment. The pain is simply a flag to tell you something's not right in your thinking. The reason that stinks, the, the reason your life stinks is because of your stinking thinking. That's why. And it can be corrected. Now, it can't all be corrected at once, but it can be corrected a little at a time. Your job is to start the process. And this work tells you how, and that's the wonderful thing about it. You have to do the process. Yeah, if somebody really doesn't, hasn't looked at themselves, he hasn't observed their own hatefulness, hardness, disloyalty, all that stuff, they haven't seen that, they can't understand how anyone could avoid adoring them. How could these people not just love me? How could they not see what a gift I am? How could they not see how much I do for them, how much I give to them, just how much my presence on this planet has brightened things up and made it warmer and more fuzzy for everybody? How can they not see that? What's the matter with these people? <laughs> well, they're being unfair, aren't they? Yeah, they're not seeing that. They're being unfair. Now we have a grievance. They're being unfair. We have a grievance. This is internal considering. They're unfair. I have a grievance. That's internal considering. But, but they are being unfair. That's a grievance. That's internal considering. He doesn't put himself in the other person's situation to realize their difficulties, external considering. Rather, he wants to put everyone in his place so they realize his difficulties. That guy I was telling you about who got mad at me, one of the things he was saying, everybody's blaming everything on me and they're like this and blah, blah, blah. He's yelling. I'm sick of it. I'm not going to take it anymore. He reminded that movie, Network, you know, the guy, all right, I want you all to go to your window, put your head out your window. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And he was doing that and I was sitting over there kind of like trying not to laugh, you know, because <laughs> man, when somebody's mad and negative, you don't want to laugh because that makes them mad matter and negative and not only that but can get dangerous because they because negative leads down to violence and the next thing you know if you laugh too hard they're going to crack your skull well i like my skull the way it is so i didn't have a helmet nearby so i just smiled <laughs> okay look around the other way twiddle your thumbs you know people are negative let them be negative just kind of get away from this as quickly as possible don't go with them you know the safe the safe route with a negative person is to go with them you know, yeah, let's kill them all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're all idiots. That's the safe route because then you agree with them. You agree with that adversary quickly while you're on the road with them. He's not going to take you to the judge and crack your skull. He's going to say, hey, you're my pal. And of course, you're not his pal at all. You're leading him to slaughter. You're a Judas goat. You know, you're leading him to slaughter, to his own slaughter. You're draining his blood. You're slitting his throat. And you're helping him slit his throat. You're giving him a knife to slit his throat. You're saying, yeah, you're doing a good job. Go ahead. Yeah, keep right there. That's the juggler. Yeah, you'll get it. Keep slashing. While all of his force is being drained away. That's not a friend, people. That's not a friend. To go with someone negative is not, to save your own life is not friendship. That's not laying down your life for the sake of your friend. That's not love by any stretch of the imagination. And if this work doesn't lead to love, if it doesn't lead to the goodness, not judgment, but goodness, if it doesn't lead to that, to forgiveness, to goodness, then I don't want any part of it. I don't care what it offers. I don't want it. If it doesn't lead to that. Because truth is not as important as goodness. You don't know what goodness is, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. But Jesus tells this parable about this Samaritan who got robbed on the road. Beat up and robbed and left for dead. So he's lying there bleeding. And a Levite comes by and he walks on the other side of the road because he's a Samaritan. He's not supposed to touch him. And a Pharisee comes by, does the same thing. Oh, walks on the other side of the road. Oh, it's just the opposite. It was this other guy. It wasn't a Samaritan that got beat up. It was this other guy that got beat up. Jew. Let's say it was a Jew that got beat up. And these other Jews just walked around him. Oh, they're not supposed to touch blood. They're not supposed. They don't want to get involved. All that other stuff. But then this Samaritan comes along, who's you know basically these people eat pigs, so they can't be. They're unclean. You know, they eat pig flesh, so they're unclean. And Jews don't eat pig flesh. That's nasty. They're commanded not to eat it. They don't eat it because it's unclean. Ick. But these Samaritans do. 
You know, it's, what's wrong with them? And they, they're weird. So anyway, you're not supposed to get around them. You're not supposed to touch them. But this Samaritan comes along and he sees this Jew over here or this guy over here and he's all beat to, and he's bleeding. He's going to die if somebody doesn't help him. And he goes over and he pours oil and, and wine on his wounds and he binds his wounds up and he puts him on his donkey and he carries him to the inn, the next inn. And he says to the innkeeper, look, take care of this guy. I'm going on a journey. Take care of this guy. Here, and he leaves him all this money. He says, and if you spend any more than this taking care of him, when I come back, I'll give it to you. The innkeeper says, okay. And the guy goes on his way. And Jesus says, now, which one? Which one did what was right? The one who followed the truth? Oh, you shouldn't touch a person like that. Or the one who followed goodness and love? If this work doesn't lead to that, I'm not interested in it. Any work that doesn't lead to that is not the true work. Okay? That's my stand. That's my story. I'm sticking with it today, anyway. If I change my mind tomorrow, I'm large. I contain multitudes. I can grow up. If I see more, I'll share it with you. If I was wrong, I'll contradict myself. And so that's the way it is. And if you can live with that, great. Stick around. If you can't, great. Find somebody who's got it right. Who can write it all down. That's the way it is. You can live by the rules and never have to think again. Terrific. Have a wonderful life. Some people don't like this goodness thing. That's very threatening to them. Goodness, love, compassion. No, 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 thank you. So they don't like that. They start to hear that and they get a little nervous. What, Pat? What? You were at... Uh... Somebody that's yeah. not being a so rather he wants to put everyone in his place so that they realize his difficulties. That's what led into that. So, yeah, I want you to see why I'm negative. I want you to agree with why I'm negative so that you can see why I'm negative. If you had the same problems I had, you'd be negative too. In fact, come right in here and be negative with me. That's an invitation. Pass. Externally consider and said. Look at them and say, yes. Like Michael Jackson just died. You know, people, oh, good, he was a child molester, blah, blah, blah. And I think, yeah, man, that's harsh. You know, but he was, but he, I don't know that. I don't know that. I only have hearsay, the press, people who wanted a lot of money, who made statements and took money. And it was all fine after they took the money. Then it didn't happen. I don't get it. You know, I don't get how you can lift that up as a wonderful thing. I don't get it. You know, maybe I'm missing something here. I don't get it how assassinating someone's character and blackmailing them is a good thing. I don't get it. I don't know any of that's true. He didn't do any of that to me. I don't know that it's true. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And not only that, but that man had a hard life. What do you mean he had a hard life? He had millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, he had a hard life. As far as I can tell, everybody with millions and millions of dollars has a hard life. The dummies don't know it most of the time. But what are they doing all these drug rehab things and all this and all that? Why is it that if it's so wonderful, then how come they have so many problems? If it's so wonderful, why are they killing themselves? If it's so wonderful, you know, why aren't they enjoying themselves? You know, well, I'd be enjoying myself if I would. Yeah, uh-huh. It's what we all say, isn't it? Because we don't know ourselves. We don't know anything about anything. But that never stops us from opining. You know what opining is? Opining is not pining. Oh, I'm pining away. It's opining, opinions, coming out with opinions. Unfair is one of internal considering's favorite words. Back to Michael Jackson. He had a difficult life, you know. Here was this little kid, the youngest of all the Jackson Five, and he had to carry the whole thing. You know, he became the popular one. He became the one that everybody depended on. He was the talented one. I mean, really super talented. And, you know, from everything you hear about his dad, his dad was kind of tough on him. You know, you don't know what it's like for a little kid. You don't know what it's like unless you've been through it. And if you've been through it, then you have a little compassion for the man, and you know that he had a difficult life. And you have no right to judge him. So stop it. And instead, offer compassion, understanding, and external considering, instead of all this internal considering. Don't you secretly think everything is unfair? I mean, really, don't you secretly think everything is unfair? Only you can help yourself. Nothing anyone else says or does can make you give it up. This feeling, this root, 
in the emotional center, this root of bitterness, this root of internal considering. Observe your common forms of internal considering and stop identifying with them. Well, I'm not asking you to observe all your forms of internal considering. Just observe your common forms. What are your common forms? Anyone? Jess? I do so much for you. Oh, I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jess has observed this common form of internal considering. Jess is a worker. There's no question about it. Jess does things. He's a doer. His center of gravity is definitely a big part of it's in the, in the moving center. Because, man, this guy's moving all the time. You know, he's doing things, and he does things for people. And that's wonderful. What isn't so wonderful is the internal considering that attaches itself like this clinging vine to what he does and starts to say, I've done so much for you. What that means is you owe me. I asked him the other day. He told me something, how I was a bad man. And I said, okay, so what do I owe you? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What do I owe you? So you don't owe me anything. I said, well, then why are you being negative and, you know, why are you holding all this against me? Okay, you owe me an apology. I said, well, I've already apologized. Well, you owe me a sincere apology. (laughs) And, you know, this could have gone on forever, and it would have gone on forever. And he just finally got, because I just kept at it relentlessly, he just finally gave him, he finally says, I'm sorry I brought all this up. (laughs) I bet he was. Because there's no resolution in paying. There's no resolution in being owed. There's never a resolution in being owed because the purpose of being owed is to keep the other person in your debt, not to ever have the debt settled. That is the purpose of being owed. That is the purpose of internal considering. That is why it poisons your entire emotional center. It poisons your being. It drains you of force. It strangles you with these vines, these shoots, these branches of internal considering that grow up out of the emotional center, wrap around your throat and cut off your circulation and your airflow and kill you. And you become dead man walking. And there are too many of those on this planet. The best thing to do about dead men walking is not be one of them. This work can show you how to approach that, how to handle that, how to begin to chop through that garden of negativity, of these shoots coming up out of the root of internal considering, how to start to trim that back until you can finally get at it and get it out of there. Observe your common forms of internal considering. Stop identifying with them. Remember yourself. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you're free from internal considering. Internal considering is making accounts against others. You've done something others haven't done. That's what Jess is, basically. Look at all I've done for you. I've done something the other people hadn't done. Remember the firewood episode? Jess was going out there and getting all this firewood. And the firewood pile was going down. We had this community firewood thing. And we, we confronted him about it. Jess, like, you know, stop using so much firewood. But I do more work than everybody else. I deserve it all. I'm owed. And so this has been a recurring theme. So when he says this is a common form, this is one of my common forms of internal considering, he's had years to see it. That doesn't mean it goes away. It means that he's got something to combat. It means something he's got to observe. It means something he's got to set up alarm clocks and flags because every time it comes up, he needs to stop it right there and not let it grow and not feed it. You start internal considering even if you don't speak the words. If you've done something that others haven't done, automatically you start internal considering just by thinking, I've done something they haven't done. That's already internal considering. Even if you haven't spoken the words, it's already the thought train is going in your mind and it will bring up other bits, similar things that will come and wrap up with that. And the next thing you know, you're going to have this horrible mess. Others don't have to work like you do. They don't see what you've done. They don't appreciate you. Well, other people don't have to get out here and do this. How come I'm the only one out here and doing this? 
Well, other people didn't. They don't even know what I've done. They don't even know all I've done. They don't even know all the work I've done. Don't they know that I round my hours down and I only take 15-minute lunch breaks and, and I'm out here in the hot sun and nobody else is out here. Where's everybody else? They're all having a party, smoking cigars or something. you know. But I'm the one doing all the work. And they don't appreciate you because they don't know what you've done. That's all internal considering. All this flows from not doing what you have to do from yourself. You don't will to do your duty. It's drudgery. You're not doing it because you want to do it. You're doing it because you're Pharisee, because you want to be seen by men. And the proof of that is, that's what you said in your internal considering. They don't see what I've done. They don't appreciate me. They're not rewarding me for what I've done. You're a Pharisee. You're doing it to be seen by men. Then that's your reward. That's what you get. If you get seen by men, you get the accolades of men, that's your reward. It means nothing to you internally. Only when you will to do what you have to do will you get through it without becoming negative, without becoming tired, without making internal accounts. What does it mean to will to do what you have to do? This is what makes force in you. Nothing destroys our understanding of the work like internal considering. Nothing destroys. It eats it up. Internal considering is like a cancer that will eat your understanding of the work and leave you with no understanding of the work. So you have gathered understanding of the work and you think, oh, I've got this now. Oh, no. Until you're crystallized in man number seven, you haven't got anything that you can say is yours. It's possible that it can be eaten by internal considering. It can be devoured by internal considering. And you'll end up with half the understanding or a tenth of the understanding that you had before you started internal considering. If you don't think internal considering destroys your understanding, where's your understanding when you're internally considering? Willing to do what you have to do makes force in you. Making force is important. The results of not stopping internal considering are self-pity, negative states, which, as Nicole says, turn one's whole psychological country into marshland filled with venomous mosquitoes. It poisons you. It poisons your being. If you will to do what you have to do, then we don't make inner accounts against others because you are willing to do it. I know you remember the story I started off with, the parable I started off with. So I know now that you're beginning to put two and two together. I know that you're beginning to see what this is all about. You will to do what is your duty to do. You will to do what you're asked to do. You will to do what you have to do. You will to do what is before you to do. You're not coerced into doing it. You don't do it grudgingly. You will to do it. You want to do it. You set your will at it. You say, I will do this. I wish to do this. I will do this. That is what protects you from internal considering from making accounts. Internal considering triggers an endless inner muttering and complaining and brooding that becomes a perpetual motion machine in the emotional center. It doesn't just stop with this event. It triggers like dominoes, this and this and this and this and this, and it's circular. It keeps going and going and going, and it will drain your force and drain your force and drain your force until it kills you. Secret grievances are not work. People think that if they keep their grievances secret, that they're working. Oh, I'm working. Maybe you are and maybe you aren't. But just keeping a secret is not necessarily working. It depends on why you're keeping that secret. If you're keeping the secret so that other people don't see it and you have to suffer some humiliation, that's not work. If you've got a grievance and you think, well, what's the use of telling the person they're too much of an idiot to do anything about it? That's not work. Secret grievances is not working on yourself, unless it is. And what that means is, while you're getting rid of the grievance, you don't make a duke of an idea public by opening your mouth about it. You know that you're wrong. You know that your grievance is wrong, and so you deal with it internally without verbalizing it. That's work, but a secret grievance is not work. A secret grievance is a cancer that eats your heart out. 
Notice your inner talking. Just notice your inner talking, whatever it may be, and stop justifying it. These are ways to deal with internal considering that this work gives you. These are the tools that you have to reach in there and pick up the tool and use it at the right time and in the right place in the proper way. Notice what haunts your thoughts. Jess noticed what haunts his thoughts. And he said, this is my common form of internal considering. It haunts me. That's what you need to do. You need to do that. What is your common form of internal considering? Taste to see if it's negative. Whatever is haunting you, taste it. See if it's negative. Put it on your tongue. Roll it around in your mouth. See if it's negative. Of course, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking internally. Try not to go with it. Try to wake up and do what you have to do willingly from yourself. From yourself. Not because this person told you to do this. Not because you're getting paid to do this. But from yourself. Objecting to everything is easy. You ever notice how easy it is to object to everything? It's just so easy. Willing what you object to is work. You object to something, oh good, will to do it. Set your will at it and do it from yourself. Objecting leads to internal considering, which leads to internal accounts against everyone and everything. Try willing the existence of a person to whom you object and watch the miracle of transformation. Rather than wishing that they would disappear or that they'd die or that they'd be somebody else or that they'd shut up or they'd move or they'd get another job. Will for them to exist. Will their existence. I want you to be on this planet. I will for you to be here in my life. I will for you to be this person in my life. This is what I want because this is what I need because this is what my being has attracted and you are a lesson. You are going to teach me a lesson that I dearly love and want. And so I want you in my life because you are my teacher and that makes you my friend. That's willing the existence of a person to whom you object. That creates force. That makes force in you. Can you see the difference? Can you taste the difference? Can you feel the difference? That's what this parable is about, people. Rather than losing force, you gain force. When you will what happens to you, you gain force. Some terrible thing happens. Why do these things always happen to me? You've lost force. How come life is so hard? You've lost force. People aren't nice. You've lost force. But when you will what happens to you, great, this is an opportunity for me. I'm burning up karma. I'm balancing accounts. I'm happy to have this. I'm glad to get through it. Bring it on. What's next? Just give me the grace to deal with this moment. And will you get the grace to deal with that moment? Yes, in that state, you will receive help from something higher. Absolutely, you will receive help. When you put yourself in that state, you will get help. You put yourself in a place where the rope dangles right there in front of you. So that's what this parable means. Luke 17, 5 through 10. Increase our faith. It's all about faith, force of faith. You have a slave plowing or tending sheep. Say to him, when he's come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. No, you don't do that. You tell him to bind up his own self. Go get yourself properly clothed. Wash up, serve me. Then you can eat after I'm satisfied. Take care of me first. You see, but we want to be the master. But you'll never be the master until you're first the slave. Until you can get your slaves, your little eyes doing what's right, willing to do what's right from themselves. You can never master them. Do you see that? You'll just have rebellious slaves. You'll never master them. You must master yourself if you expect to have master come. You must master this part of you, these internal considerings, these habitual, insane, force-draining trains of thought that come from this screwed-up root of bitterness in the emotional center. All internal considering comes from false personality, which blows us up in self-importance. False personality is always going on and on about how important we are, how people shouldn't treat us this way, how people owe us this, how they shouldn't do that, how they're not good enough for us. Overvaluing ourselves leads to internal considering. 
Faith is the force to believe beyond the evidence of the senses, to lift us out of the mechanical reactions, to understand there's something beyond our human understanding, our limited view of things. The servant could easily make internal accounts. Why should I have to work all day and then serve you? You've not had as hard a day as I have. Only you can will to do what your being brings to you to do. This creates force, and you need the force of faith to will it. You will not will to do your duty unless you have the force of faith. Willing to do your duty will generate force, the force of faith, and it will generate force so that you can use that force in faith to remind yourself that there is something higher than your human understanding, that there is help for you, that there is a way to be transformed, and that there is something for you to do. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.